Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Morning, morning, morning. What's up, Bert? All right, let's take our seats and get rolling so we can get started on a timely fashion. I'm Eric Wood. It's an honor to be up here this morning and introduce a buddy of mine who's going to speak to us in just here in a few minutes. Whether this is your first time or your hundredth time here this morning, you are in the right place, and I am not going to have you Give a, get up and give a bro hug right now. I heard uh, Sam did that last week, and if you thought that was bad, at a Bible study on Tuesday night, Sam had us wash each other's feet, literally wash each other's feet, which was awkward. It was clunky, as he explained, but something I'll never forget the rest of my life, so I appreciate you having us do that. That was an awesome illustration. I always appreciate your boldness, but at Man Challenge, we have four objectives. Number one each man to take their next step of faith. Number two, develop a confident and competent understanding of who Jesus is. We want to develop or we want to have a heart to invest in others. And number four, I'm going to spend a few minutes here. We want to develop authentic male relationships. And I'll start by this way. In 1938, they did a study of every Harvard sophomore. So every single one of them, and they got funding to do a lifelong study of them. And they studied everything from career to family life to longevity. And these guys ran the gamut from these guys and gals from prison to drug dealers to homeless, all the way to politicians, lawyers, doctors, to U.S. presidents. Pretty wild. As of 2017, five of them are, or sorry, as of 2017, 18 of them are still living to this day. And when they looked at longevity, the number one indicator of how long you would live in life, if you could be one of these guys that are approaching 100, was your relationships. It wasn't if you drank, if you smoke, if you ate bad. I see a lot of people maybe take a deep breath. It was your relationships. It was having joy-filled, authentic, real relationships. Those provided hope. Chris Morgan talked about you can live four minutes without air, 40 days without food. might have been 40 hours. Either way, those relationships provide you that hope in your life. And so here, we want to provide an atmosphere. We want to provide a platform to help you get those authentic male relationships I started coming to Man Challenge back in 2011, 2012, and when I first started coming, I prayed that God would put godly men in my life, more godly men in my life, and he sure did. And those guys walked with me through my faith journey, but it really became important to me in 2018 when my career ended, because for me, besides my foundation of my faith, and besides my wife, Leslie, the number one thing that got me off the couch and got me not hitting a downward spiral 
were the relationships in my life, the authentic male relationships in my life. And so I was trying to look up exactly what authentic meant, and I was trying to be smart like Kyle and these guys I see on stage who look up the Greek origins. So the Greek origin of authentic is authentic. So that, 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 that fell flat. That fell flat. I thought, I, like, I looked it up. I was like, man, this would be a really great opportunity. It wasn't. It wasn't at all. So, uh, But we're looking for real, genuine relationships. Talk about stuff deeper than sports and politics and the weather. We want to talk about life together. We want to encourage each other. And those will serve you in your life. Uh, in a minute, I'm going, to have the, I'm going to bring out Scott Long here in a minute. Scott and, I got, Scott and I got to play together at the University of Louisville. He came in when I was in my second or third year at Louisville. He was tall. He was fast. Came in stronger than me, which for a receiver, I only say that I wasn't that strong, but as a receiver to be stronger than an offensive lineman was pretty impressive. And I don't know why God gave me a nine-year football career in the NFL and didn't Scott. Scott's career got cut short by injuries. You hear from people all the time, like, man, I could have played in the league if – my shoulder or my knee or my hip or whatever, like Scott would have been a big-time NFL football player. He would have. But God cut his career short in college. But because of that, because he stepped into ministry, thousands, millions of lives will be impacted because of Scott's obedience. And so I've gotten the opportunity to see Scott just developed into this unbelievable communicator. It reminds me of Ephesians 3.20. God can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. Scott came to the University of Louisville quiet. He was not standing up in front of our team meeting room giving a talk, and now he stands in front of stages, he stands in front of thousands of people, and he's an unbelievable communicator. It's so inspiring to me. He's also got this knee bend he does, and for someone who's had six lower body surgeries, and how many lower body surgeries have you had? Four. Four. He's got this knee bend that, like, Makes me question my workout routine because I'm not getting that kind of knee bend. But this is my brother, Scott Long. So we, or I got to ask your wife and your kids a couple things about you. And Eliana said her favorite thing about her dad is he is really good at playing and he stands up for our family and preaches really good. <laughs> Preaching for an audience of one there. Yeah. Eden said he's super funny and nice. He reflects Jesus in the way he helps people. That's good. And Caroline says, I say he is steady and dependable. His empathy and humility are a true reflection of Christ. That's incredible stuff. All right, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions and then pray for you and turn it over for you. All right, so you are the head of Highview Central Church. I, I know there's a lot going on. You got a new building and everything else. But what is the toughest thing about leading a church. You've been in the church for a while. You've worked in the church for a while. What's the toughest part about leading a church? Man, um, toughest part about leading a church, man. I love God's people, uh, but God's people got a lot of opinions. And, uh, <laughs> man, we've had, <laughs> we've, had, <clears throat> we've had people, you know, uh, you make a decision and we, you have people who, who want to leave because they're on one side of your decision, and then people want to leave because you're, they're on the other side of your decision. And so, yeah, it can be tough. That makes a lot of sense. All right, last one. You're a competitor at heart. I've worked out with you. I've played games with you. 
How do you scratch that competitive itch on a daily basis now? Um, man, working out. Uh, just trying to get in, in the gym and, and stay looking like Adam Froman over there. Um, but, uh, yeah, working out is one of those things that I just kind of, you know, lock in and get some music going. And, yeah, that's it. That's all we church, got now. Church league softball. That, that and church league softball, that's it. Try pickleball out. It's pretty yeah, strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let me pray for you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this space we get to meet. We thank you for all the people that help prepare this room and, and prepare it each and every week. Lord, just open our hearts, open our ears mm. to be impacted by Scott's words here today and really impact what comes from the scripture. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for our brother Scott. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, E. Wood. Appreciate that, brother. Um, hey, guys, if y'all have a Bible, I hope you do this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, man, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Chris Morgan, for uh, the invitation, allowing me to come out this morning with you guys. And uh, I was here last semester. I enjoyed my time with you, man. This is encouraging to see uh, just a room full of men who are gathered together around God's word. This is encouraging. What a way to start uh, your day. And so um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, you know, Chris told me that I had uh, about 20 minutes to share this morning, and that is cruel and unusual punishment to a chocolate preacher, all right? And so uh, I told him, man, we're going to just go ahead and, and jump right into it, uh, not waste a whole bunch of time. Second Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 8 down through verse uh, about 13, and then we will um, walk through the text together. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. It says this, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he would deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And here's probably the best verse in all of this. For he cannot deny himself. Um, Charles Spurgeon has a quote that every time I hear it, it really gets all up into me and challenges me and steps on my toes. Charles Spurgeon was once quoted as saying this, that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. In other words, what he's saying is that all of us who are followers of Jesus have been called uh, from God Almighty, have been called to try to make other followers of Jesus, to engage in the mission of reaching other people for Christ. Now, not every Christian has the same calling, right? Not every Christian is called to engage in the mission in the same way. Some people are pastors. Some people are missionaries. They're professional ministers that go overseas and they engage people overseas with the gospel. But then some missionaries just simply go to work 
or they go to their, their kids' ball team, or they go to school, and they go to those places on purpose for Jesus. I tell my church often, I tell them, I say, hey, you ain't got to go far. You just got to go on purpose. You got to go with an intentionality to share Jesus wherever you go. And the thing that I want us to really wrap our minds around this morning and kind of kind of allow to settle into our souls is that when you go, And when you preach Christ and when you stand boldly for Jesus, you're going to catch heat for that. Uh, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Uh, I don't know the last time that y'all watched Discovery Channel and saw a wolf getting a hold of some prey, but that's not a pretty sight. Jesus also told his disciples that, hey, if they hated me, understand they're going to hate you because you're following after me. And and no servant is above his master. They hated him and they hung him on a tree. What do you think they're going to do to us? When we go out there and we preach Jesus and we proclaim Christ, we ought to expect there to be some heat coming for our lives. When I was in college, actually, Adam Froman was one of my quarterbacks in college. And um, as a wide receiver, every now and then, he didn't do this a whole lot, but every now and then there would be a ball that would kind of get floated across the middle, and you would have to extend and go up high for that bad boy. And every now and then there would be this temptation as a wide receiver to kind of give it alligator arms, and you didn't want to fully extend because you knew that there was a linebacker on the other side who was about to take you out, right? And there would be a temptation to kind of have alligator arms as you're going across the middle. But my coach used to always say this, and I think this is very relevant to the Christian life. He would say this. He would say, hey, that dude's going to hit you anyways, so you might as well catch the ball. I believe that's what this passage is all about. I believe the Apostle Paul is is trying to help this young preacher, this young pastor, Timothy, to get ready to take the gospel into a hostile world. He's raising him up and he's saying, hey, you're about to be a preacher, you're about to be a pastor, and you're about to be preaching Jesus in a culture that doesn't want Jesus. You're about to be proclaiming Christ in a culture, in a world that is against him, and so you need to be prepared for the heat that's going to come against your life. You need to be prepared to take the hits and to stand up and to continue to be faithful. And I believe this is a word for you and I today because we live in a culture that doesn't love Jesus and doesn't want Jesus. It's ironic because we live in a culture today that's always preaching tolerance, right? We live in a culture today that says, hey, tolerate all people and tolerate all views. Well, the same people who preach tolerance don't tolerate Jesus because Jesus is exclusive. And Jesus is offensive to the human ego. And so when you preach Jesus, there is heat that is coming for your life. But what I hope you see today from the scriptures is an encouragement that Jesus is worth the heat. Amen? Jesus is worth the heat. Jesus is worth any hits that you and I might take for him. He's worth that. He's worth any suffering that we might come against. And Paul gives us an encouragement today. I just want to lift three encouragements from you for you this morning on things that you must remember as you're preaching Christ. Things that you must remember as you're going into a world that doesn't want Jesus but desperately needs him. Here's what I hope that you believe today is I hope that you believe that even though the world is dark and even though the world is hard and challenging and we may suffer, that the world needs Christ. The world needs Christ. The world doesn't need us to retreat and hide and back down from the heat. The world needs us to take Jesus into the front lines. 
And here are three things this morning right out of the passage, right out of the text, that I think can help us to do that and to stay the course. And it's three things to remember. In verse 8, number one, we need to remember Jesus Christ. We need to remember Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering and bound with chains as a criminal. So Paul begins this encouragement to this young pastor, Timothy, by telling him, hey, keep your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus because there's nobody who endured more to bring the kingdom of God into the world than Jesus himself. He says, well, make sure you remember him. And the thing that he says about Jesus is that Jesus in his nature was fully God and he was fully human. He says that he was fully God. Jesus has always existed as God from eternity past, as co-equal with God the Father. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and it says that all things were created through him. Apart from Jesus was not anything created that was created. And so Jesus has divine DNA. There were many miracles throughout the Gospels that proved Jesus to be God, but the greatest miracle was the fact that he resurrected from the dead. That's what Paul says here. That he was proven to be the son of God because he raised from the dead. The resurrection is a proof positive that Jesus was God. Uh, I'm a Christian hip-hop fan. I love hip-hop music. I love rap music. And I love Christian hip-hop music. Okay, and I can just kind of look around the room this morning and I can go out on a limb and guess that most of y'all don't appreciate my love for hip-hop. And that's okay. All right, but I want to read you a line that comes from a Christian hip-hop artist named Shylin. Here's what it says. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Gandhi and Holly Selassie are dead. Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Throughout history, there's been mad religious leaders, prophets, preachers, scholars, and teachers. But when it comes to the grave, none of them could climb out. That's where Jesus stands alone, like taking a time out. Y'all, that's a good, good line, even if you like country, okay? <laughs> it talks about the fact that the resurrection proves that Jesus is God. But Paul also says here that Jesus is human, that he comes from the line of David. He comes from the line of King David. King David was the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. And what the Bible says in, in John chapter 1 down in verse 14 was not only the word in the beginning with God and the word was God, but in verse 14 it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when Jesus came through the Virgin Mary, it was, it, it was essentially an incarnation of God in human form. And Jesus came and he walked the earth that we walk on and he lived the life that we live and he can relate to us in every single way. And the point here is that Jesus has a nature that is different than any other. Jesus has qualifications that make him a savior that are different than any other. He's man enough to identify with our weakness, but he's God enough to have no sin. He's man enough to hang on the cross as a substitute for sinners, but he's God enough to rise from the grave. 
He's man enough to know what it's like to be us and identify with our weaknesses, but he's God enough to give us grace in our time of need. He is the only Savior. And Paul is saying here that when you preach the uniqueness of Christ, that heat is going to come for your life. He says, I'm suffering for this. Many different places in Scripture, Paul was suffering for the sake of the gospel. And what I love about what he's telling young Timothy is this. He's saying, I'm not just calling you to suffer well. I'm suffering well, too. As you guys are investing in people and you're doing discipleship and you're pouring into folks, don't preach sermons that you're not willing to live. As you're investing in your families and you're leading your wives and you're leading your kids, don't preach things that you're not willing to live. Paul says, I was suffering for the sake of Jesus and Jesus is exclusive and I was preaching the God man and that brought heat to my life and you better be prepared for it too. The way that we push through that, guys, is by keeping our eyes on the same Jesus that we preach. Knowing that we need him and knowing that he didn't just suffer when he came to the earth. He didn't just die on the cross and lay his life down. He did it to rescue our souls. And so when you remember that and you keep your eyes on him and you know that his suffering was for the sake of rescuing you, you endure whatever you have to in order to get his message to other people. Amen? So Paul says, if you're going to endure as pre- a preacher of the gospel, number one, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus, remember Jesus. But here's the second thing, is you've got to remember God's power. Remember God's power. Notice what he says again in verse 9. It says that he's suffering for the gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But here's the good news. He says that the word of God is not bound. I love that. Paul says that you can can bring heat against my life, but you can't bring heat against the gospel itself. You can imprison me and chain me up, but you can't chain the gospel. Paul is actually writing this letter to Timothy from prison. Right? That's crazy. He's writing this letter about suffering for the gospel as he's suffering for the gospel. He's in prison. But what he says is that I'll never stop being unashamed of the gospel because I know that you can't bind the gospel itself. There's many different examples of this throughout uh, the scriptures. When Paul was in the, the Philippian jail, Paul was in the city of Philippi. He was arrested at that point and thrown into prison again. And as he's in the Philippian jail, God brings this miraculous earthquake and he shakes the foundations of the jail and busts all of the prisoners free. And the jailer who was responsible for keeping the, the, the prisoners in jail, he thinks that, man, I've lost the prisoners and I'm, I'm about to lose my life. I'm about to get killed for this. And so he says, I'm going to kill myself. Paul, instead of running and and taking his freedom, he shares Jesus with the jailer, and the jailer is converted and baptized. In the book of Acts, Stephen is stoned to death for preaching Jesus, and it caused this persecution to come amongst the believers, and all of the disciples flee out of Jerusalem into neighboring cities. They're on the run for their lives, but they take the gospel with them, and the gospel begins to to, to multiply, and people are converted, and churches are planted all around the cities neighboring Jerusalem. And what Satan tried to bring against God's people to stop them was the very thing God used to advance the gospel. And God has always got a checkmate against Satan. Right? Satan says, hey, I'm going to throw your messenger in, in jail. And God says, that's okay, I'll convert the guards. 
right? Satan says, I'm going to stone your messenger, Stephen. And God says, that's okay. I'll take my messengers and send them to the surrounding cities and plant more churches and spread the gospel more. Jesus says literally in in, in Matthew chapter 16 that the gates of hell, that he is growing his church, he's building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, I used to read that passage. I don't know about you, but I used to read that passage, and I used to read it in kind of vision, in vision that the church was huddled up on the defense trying to keep the big bad world out. I used to read that as if the church was kind of on the defensive and trying to keep Satan and, and the world and darkness and hell out. But no, that's actually a picture of, of, of the church on the offensive. The church surging forward, the church kicking down the gates of hell and kicking Satan in his teeth and robbing him of his possessions. And that's the picture that Jesus gives of the church. Man, it's time for us to rise up and believe in the power of God, the power of the gospel to surge forth because it cannot be bound. Fastest growing church right now in the world is in Iran. In Iran, it's actually illegal to follow Jesus Christ. We couldn't ga- if we were in Iran this morning, we could not gather around tables and talk about Jesus in the public this way because in 17 or 1979, there was a hardline Islamic regime that was put on by the government. And it became illegal. I mean, they kicked missionaries out of the country. They began to kill pastors. And it was like the Bible was banned. You could not do these things. And people thought that it was going to stamp out the gospel in Iran. But what statistics tell us is that over the last 20 years, there have been more people who have been converted to Christianity from Islam in the last 20 years than the previous 13 centuries combined, all under persecution. You know what I think Paul would say? I think Paul would say, you might be able to bind me, but you can't bind the word of God. You might be able to bind me, but you can't bind the power of God. You might be able to bind me, but you can't bind the power of the gospel. We got to believe in the power of God. Number one, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus, remember Jesus. Number two, we got to remember God's power. Here's the third and final one we got to remember that we win. We got to remember that we win. Notice what he says in verse 11. This is actually a song that was a very popular hymn during the time of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Here's what it says. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's essentially three parts in this song. The first part is a reminder that you and I, if we were ever to die in Christ, we were going to live with Christ. What the Bible tells us is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That if you are in Jesus Christ, he is going to resurrect you. He's given you not just eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, but he's given you life with him in his presence forever in the kingdom. So what the Bible tells us is that, man, if we ever receive persecution that's hard enough to take our lives, that death is really just a doorway into the presence of the lover of our souls. 
right? That if it ever got that hard for us, if it ever got that tough for us, which I don't think it ever will in America, but if it ever did, that death is really just a doorway that takes us into the presence of the lover of our souls. And he says, hey, we may die here, but we'll live with him. Second thing that he says in this song is that, that we will reign with Jesus for eternity in his kingdom. That Jesus is a ruling and reigning king, that he's coming back to earth and he's going to set up his throne and he's going to rule and reign here. What the Bible says is that all of those who are in Christ will rule and reign with him. Fellas, what that means is that we may lose here, but we're going to gain then. What that means is that we may be on the bottom here, but we'll be on the top then. What that means is that we may be suffering now and going through all of this hardship now and taking all of this heat now, but we are going to reign with him then. And so any loss we take here is all worth it in the end. The last thing that he says is really kind of carries a warning, and I want you to get your eyes back on this because I think this is a warning for our souls that can really help us but also encourage us. It says if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny us. Himself. This is the reality that, man, Jesus, he wants us to stand for him. Jesus wants us to live for him. And what the Bible is warning us about here is that if we ever, if we ever quit, man, and don't persevere to the end, if we ever get to the place where we say, man, I, like I, I want to profess Jesus in private, but I don't want to stand for him in public, if we ever get to the place where we're kind of saying, like, I want to kind of be private with my Christianity, but I don't want to take any heat for Jesus out there in public, he says essentially that probably reveals that you don't belong to him, and in that case, he'll deny you. Now, this doesn't mean that if you have a moment of weakness that he will deny you. See the example and testimony of Peter. Peter had a moment of weakness where he denied Jesus when the, the heat turned up for him, but Jesus was gracious and he restored him because, man, he knows what he's done in your heart. Even if you are not faithful, if you're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God is never going to turn his back on you if you've trusted in him. But how many of y'all know this morning that there are a lot of people who, who talk about Jesus and who profess Jesus, but when the heat turns up, they don't want nothing to do with him? COVID emptied out a lot of churches and cleaned off a lot of church rosters of people who said they loved Jesus, but when things got hard, they simply didn't want to walk through that. There's a lot of people in American Christianity here in this place where we, where we idolize comfort and we idolize things going our way where the, we wouldn't make it in Iran. So what Jesus is really kind of calling out here and Paul is really kind of calling out here is, is, is there authenticity in our walk with God? Here's the encouragement in the gospel this morning because that's kind of a heavy warning. The encouragement in the gospel is this, that Jesus is always faithful to his character and his promises that he's made to his people. And he is faithful, even if our performance is bad, he's faithful to hold on to us if we're in him, but he's also faithful to judge us if we're not in him. But the good news of the gospel is that it's never too late to turn to Christ. The good news of the gospel is that it's never too late to trust in him and receive his promises upon your life and to be secured in him. As we close our time together, what I think is perhaps the most encouraging thing about this passage is that he ends with a song. 
He ends with a song of victory. And what I found to be true in my life and what I found to be true in the lives of Christians for throughout centuries in the history of our world is that there is so much power and victory in being able to worship God even in the midst of suffering. You really want to learn how to confuse Satan in your life. Learn how to worship God and sing of the victory in the gospel even in the midst of your suffering and pain. My family loves watching the Summer Olympics. And one of the the coolest things about the Summer Olympics is the ceremony at the end of the games after they get done with the events and they stand up and there's three podiums where the first three place finishers uh, are get up on those podiums. And they're standing up there and they have the flags that are coming down of each finisher of the top three countries. But the person who's standing on the top podium who has taken home gold, they sing the national anthem of that country. And the flag is coming down and they sing the national anthem and everybody in the stadium is singing the national anthem. If you know the language, you're singing the national anthem of the victor and the person who's taken home the victory and the gold. Here's the thing that we got to know and understand as Christians is that Jesus is taking home the victory and the gold. Jesus has already won. Jesus has defeated sin. Jesus has defeated Satan. Jesus has defended hell. And he's, he's won those things for those who are in him. Jesus has secured a victory, guys, and he has secured the right for his people to follow him and to proclaim him. I want you to know this and understand this this morning, that the government does not give us the right to follow and proclaim Jesus. The resurrection does. The resurrection gives us that right. Jesus has secured that right with his blood and the empty tomb. And so no matter how hard it ever gets for us, you and I are to follow and we're to proclaim because we win. We win. We win now. We win then. And here's the thing that I want to encourage you with. No matter how much heat comes against your life, Jesus is worth the heat. Jesus is bringing us a victory, and he's worth the heat. And so endure no matter what comes against your life. Follow him and proclaim him. Let's pray together. God, we love you, and we thank you for this encouragement. We love you and we thank you for the fact that that you win. God, that you've given us an example in Christ that we can keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And you can encourage us to endure. God, because Jesus has won, because he's died on the cross for us and risen from the grave and promised to come back in victory, we will win. And I'm just wondering this morning, how many men in the room need just a dose of encouragement? How many men in the room this morning are trying to stand for Jesus and trying to to lead their wives to Jesus and trying to lead their kids to Jesus and trying to stand for Jesus in the workplace and trying to stand for Jesus at school and trying to stand for Jesus in the community, but it's hard. Maybe they're lacking motivation, or maybe they're lacking courage, or maybe they're lacking belief that it's even all worth it. We're not going to do anything weird today. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but here's what I, what I want to do. If you're, if you're here this morning, nobody needs to look around. If you're here this morning and you need some encouragement, 
if you're here this morning and you would say, you know what? I don't know if I have what it takes to actually stand when the heat turns up. And I need some encouragement. I need something inside of me that is not from myself that will help me push through and still proclaim Christ no matter what comes. If that's you, nobody needs to look around. If you would say, I need encouragement this morning, I need help this morning, would you just look up at me? Praise God. Praise God. I see you, brothers. Okay, you can put your heads down. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray. If you looked up at me, maybe you didn't want to look up at me, but if you looked up at me, I just want you to extend your palms towards heaven just like this. And I'm just going to pray a prayer of, of, of courage over you this morning. I'm going to pray that the Lord would fill your heart with a perseverance for him. I want to pray that God would fill your heart with endurance for him. And that prayer just simply says this, God, I, I ask that you would see these men. And I ask that you would fall down from heaven this morning with your presence and fill them up with what they need to stand true for you. God, we are encouraged this morning by the fact that Jesus has already won. We're encouraged this morning by the fact that, that you are reigning on your throne and you are not cowering back from God, the, 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 the big bad world, but you are surging forward. You're building your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. But God, sometimes it's hard, and sometimes we doubt, and sometimes we, we're just, God, if we're honest, we're scared to say what needs to be said and to do what needs to be, to be done. And so I just pray that you would fill the men who have their palms torn, turned towards heaven this morning. You would fill them with your presence. God, fill them with your comfort. Fill them with your power. Give them the ability to stand when it's hard. Give them the courage to, to speak when it's hard. Give them the courage, God, to talk about Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus, and the need for people to repent and place their trust in him. Give them the belief, God, that you're with them and that you'll never forsake them. Give them courage, God, to lead their wives to Jesus. Give them courage to open their Bibles with their kids, God, and disciple their families. God, our kids need us. This is a, a, a dark and dying world. I'm terrified for what my kids are facing. We need you, God. We need you to empower our children. And you've placed us, the men around this table, to be the priests in our homes, the preachers, the pastors in our homes. We need you. We need you to help us stand at work. We need you to help us stand in our neighborhoods. We need you. And I just pray for a fresh grace this morning for these guys, that you would empower them and you'd help them. Let them keep their eyes on you and remember you, for you have won. And even when we are faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. And all God's people said together this morning, amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 